Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain a leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm interviewing a new friend of mine, Steve Opal. We actually kind of met through email, and I heard a story. It's pretty intriguing, and so I think it's something I want to pass along with you. So, Steve, tell, tell us about uh, one of the things that I found on the website that was really intriguing to me was the founding of your church a long, long time ago. Um, that That's very parallel to what happened to me. I, I, I took over an empty church building, but but some real pioneers had started the thing two decades before. Yours goes back even further than mine did. Tell us a little bit about how it got started. Yeah, it's uh, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Um, it, it is interesting because it was two sisters who went to the Assemblies of God Bible College. And when they graduated, they were told, we don't have an Assemblies of God church in London. And they were told to come to Wolverhampton. So they first left London cycled all the way back up to Yorkshire. I don't know how many days it took them to do that. A couple of days with some stopovers. Visited family, having finished college, and then cycled all the way back to Wolverhampton. I mean, the car journey now today is about three, three and a half hours. So uh, cycling um, like 75, 80 years ago (laughs) would have been a crazy journey for them. And the way they started church, it was post-Second World War, There was a lot of kids running around on the streets who had uh, very little food, very little money, uh, often weren't even wearing shoes and socks. And so they started a ministry, shopfront kind of ministry to those children. And out of those beginnings, eventually planted a church. So, yeah. And when I became the senior leader in 2001 of the church here, one of the first things I felt to do was to track through our history, get it on the website, but also I found out one of the sisters was still alive. Wow. So we uh, got in touch with her, invited her to Wolverhampton, actually sent one of our ladies to go and pick her up and bring her for a weekend. And we just had a weekend of letting her share story. Why did they do what they do? How were they supported? And uh, like six years after that, when she passed away, she asked if I would have, I would do a funeral. And the family told me that coming back and seeing what we had become all these years later uh, was one of the highlights of the end of her life. So a great little story, and it was really rich uh, for us to be able to honor our history as well. You know, one of the things that really blesses me about getting to know you is that you are uh, that you would honor, honor your history. I see so many young guys uh, in America, we're kind of seeing a thing where a young guy takes over the church and then just throws out the past and, and tries to start something fresh as if the past didn't exist. And uh, you know, Bible says to honor your parents, and uh, you guys have done more than that. And, I, and I, but I think it's a formula for success. I think if you, anytime you make a hero out of the people who've gone before, you get to uh, be accredited with all that they've done. It becomes a part of your toolkit, and that's that's really cool. So tell us a little bit about the the vision of the church. Uh, you know where how it got to where it is, uh, where it is, and then. You've talked to me about some pretty interesting changes coming down the road. 
Yes, those sisters, uh, I guess they got a, a working class community coming to the church into the 50s and maybe into the 60s. There's a lot of um, West Indians coming into the UK and they've got a Christian heritage. They're looking for churches. And so it wasn't long before there was a Jamaican community here as well. And uh, I think by the time I got here, which was 91, it was many, many years later, um, there was quite a mix of cultures in the church. So there was Chinese, there was some Indian, there was Jamaican, uh, there was a few Africans. It was very diverse. And the city itself, I guess like most places in the world now, very cosmopolitan and the church has always attracted those different cultures in. Um, I think uh, it, 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 it had, the church had grown and then gone back down, grown and got back down. And it wasn't probably till the late 90s where I did a bit of research into our history, trying to figure out what's going on, early 2000s, and realized every seven and a half years or so, the church would get to a growth point and then something would happen in leadership and it would falter. I don't think it was ever moral failure. It was never anything about stealing money, but normally just a uh, something not working relationally within the leadership team. And it was always different leadership teams. And we felt the Lord saying to us, there's a spiritual issue here because we were hitting the same point seven and a half years into my leadership and thinking, what is going on? There's this confusion. There's this people are good people, yet we're kind of at each other a little bit. And, and so uh, that was one of the things that the Lord showed us is this is a spiritual kind of issue. You pray about it. You, you operate in the opposing spirit. Don't accuse one another. Stand together. Now, I would say, hand up, our story didn't end well. In 2009, the church kind of splintered a few different ways. Uh, well, primarily two ways. And it was, it was uh, easily one of the most difficult years of my life. Uh, we had grown quite rapidly from 2001 to 2009, and then all it kind of split in 2009. So probably giving you a bit more history than I intended to, but I felt the Lord saying to me before that all kicked off, you're about to go through a painful time, but you're going to learn really important life lessons that will set you up for the future. And it's exactly what happened. I learned a lot about myself, um, my own insecurities. And I guess if I reflect back, I think a lot of those things could have been avoided if I was more of a secure leader, because I would have dealt with some issues up front that I was too insecure to deal with in 2003, four and five. And they actually get bigger and bigger the longer you leave them un unaddressed. And then really the last 12 years have been a journey all by themselves. So, so what switched? Um, what, what advice would you give to somebody else who's going through a hard time like that? And then we'll go on from there. Yeah, um, I, probably a couple of things. One, I did a bit of escapism. I don't even know if anybody knows this, but because I was so not wanting the pressure, uh, crashing out in front of a film might be what I do to get my mind off it, taking my family out and letting them, you know, whether it's just looking around some shops, I was trying to get my head out of the anxiety that I was walking through because it was, I couldn't sleep at night. I didn't know how to deal with it. And my natural default personality is if there's a problem, I want to pull away from it, not lean into it. Um, and really what I should have done is leaned into it. And so I made a decision post that season. Uh, I made a number of decisions. One of them was if I pick up on an issue at a leadership level, 
that I can feel something isn't right, I will deal with it within 24 hours. So if I can feel the niggle, I will lean in, have the conversation, grab a coffee, and normally it's dealt with before it even becomes a, a big issue. And much of it was just my own insecurity and fear of what might happen if I try and address this issue of who I might lose or what they might say. And so that'd be one of the things. The other one would be lean stronger into Christ because there's strength there. Don't pull away from him. There's peace, there's joy, there's hope available if I just go and talk to him. So two pieces of advice that I should have done. I guess if I'd done that in 2003, when some of these things were just tiny little uh, niggles, they wouldn't have come to the big issues they were by 2009. Uh, you know, I think we're that is probably four or five podcasts in his own right. So yeah. it's, a, it's a huge story there. <laughs> well, we may get around and do that. Um, you know, I I think that uh, the, the constant tension that that I feel as a leader is to be so busy that I don't have time for Jesus. And uh, I went through a, a, a cycle much like yours. And back in 2002, my wife had cancer. We had a whole bunch of things going on. And I, I went for, for months of not sleeping right. And then finally, I went for, I guess, 72 hours with no sleep at all. I, and I was pretty much losing my mind. And um, and I went to a doctor, got a pill, and, and at the, you know, I could sleep again. And But as I come out of it, 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 I read all these books, all these, you know, spiritual books, Holy Spirit books, all this stuff. And what I came out with was... Um, it sounds it sounds so ridiculous when I say it, but even today, looking in the mirror, uh, pray more. You know, spend time with Jesus, and, and that's what had leaked out of my life. And um, yeah, this is really, really intriguing. Yeah. Well, well, tell us about you know, I mean, because you've had another upsurge, and and you you guys have branched, you know, done a lot of things. And now you're kind of getting to a point where, you know, when we got together on email, you said something about God's telling you to let my people go. Uh, talk to us about that. So just to connect the dots, back in 2009, went through all those issues, lost a lot of people, rebuilt a leadership team, rebuilt focus back towards where we're heading, deciding not to be bitter, angry or resentful, but focus on our mission at hand. And, and we got busy about that. I also realized I want to build intentionally who we are as a people. So establishing that culture, talking about it, it all became really important. They're not new lessons. They're talked about a lot in church leadership circles. And so by the time last uh, February came, March came, when we were just pre-COVID, it was, it was surfacing. Nobody knew how serious it was going to be. We were about eight campuses. I say about because there was one that's a, a, a missional project that hadn't quite become a campus. It's more of an outreach associated to us, but it would have become a campus. And, and we thought we'd doing okay. So the church has grown. All those campus leads are on staff. So it was a very, uh, very big growth surge for us from where we were in 2009 to where we now were in 2020. And... Um, I, I, and the, the whole discipleship piece had been in our thinking for a few years. Uh, I think I've been naturally, uh, I would say accidentally wired. Well, the Lord wired me. I don't think I was a strategic leader in discipleship. I felt like it happened very naturally in my teenage years, discipling people, living life with them. Many of them are involved in church leadership today. 
And so that was always on our radar, but I had learned a lot about how to do church by the books I read, the people I looked up to, the big noise in the Christian world. And I hadn't realized how much I believed based on what I had grown up with. So osmosis rather than Bible. And then I look at the Bible through the lens of what I've grown up with. And I remember it was 2019, November, and I, I heard the Lord clearly speak to me. It was like an impression on the inside that said, you're about to go through the biggest season of unlearning you have ever been through. And I was like, hmm, okay, that's interesting. And then 2020 hit, and it really was a year of actually re-examining why we do what we do, how we do what we do, and is it really where our focus should be? So I'm in my late 40s. I turned 47 just a week ago. And at this age and stage, I would think you found your lane, you get in there, you hold steady, and you just ride it out. And, and yet last year, we were hearing the Lord saying, uh, and I can go into this if you like, uh, but I, I th- I, it, was a, it was a strange season for us in the UK, very similar to other parts. Our prime minister was making announcements every, every evening, which has never happened in the history of my life. And so the prime minister with the uh, chief health secretary um, would get onto the TV and they would make their announcements about COVID and what was happening. And it was, it was the last week in March, first week in April. And as I'm about to sit down to watch this news update, I just I clearly had this impression of the Lord saying, you should be listening more to me than you are to your prime minister. And yet we had been in this problem solving mode. How do we do church when we can't gather um, we were doing stuff online. We were starting to do some live broadcasts, just jumping on the wagon like everybody. And there was a bit of thrill in that as a sure. problem solver. You know, you just get busy. The adrenaline's going. And uh, I just clearly heard the Lord saying, you should be listening to what I'm saying, not just what your prime minister is saying. And it really caught me off guard for a moment because I thought I'm doing pretty well. We're doing the right thing. And over the next few weeks, uh, really felt challenged. I won't go into all the detail, but there's a whole piece around shaking from Haggai Hebrews 12, and and really sensing the Lord saying, this is a divinely designed stop. Uh, I don't think COVID was divinely designed. People sit different places theologically. I do believe the stop for the church and the world was divinely designed. And I thought for us, the Lord is saying, I want to get your attention. Uh, You've been busy. And when you're busy, you don't listen well. And now I want you to listen to what I'm saying. And by the end of April, Uh, a real sense of the Lord saying to me, you're not obeying the Great Commission. Uh, The church you're leading is not fit for purpose. And I mean, this was a shock to me because I've given my life to building that church and um, doing what we're doing. We built a thousand seater building in 2016. So it's like we've we've done all of these things. We've planted these campuses and the Lord is saying, you're not fit for purpose (laughs) and you're not obeying the Great Commission. So I was shocked by those statements and uh, yeah, really got my attention to stop and think, let me inter- interrupt here. So, but I mean, just ringing my bells like crazy. I, you know, I grew, I grew up planting churches. I grew up as a, as a kid understanding the need to do that and that not knowing how. And then when we sort of slid into it, uh, I found myself at odds with the church culture I was in and in my denomination, in our community. As soon as we started planting churches, and we were a bunch of hippies in the beginning and church called Hope Chapel, people call us Dope Chapel, and that was the other pastors, uh, and the other pastors in my denomination locally, it was not nice, but then we're the anomaly, we're, we're multiplying, we're making disciples, we're very, that's, that's the core of everything, 
became easy to plant churches. But the whole mega church thing, the whole noise that you're talking about in, in the Christian world is on the rise and we're on the outs. And we felt in our heart, and I'm just arrogant enough to go, we're right, you're wrong. And, and so we kind of lived our whole life in this process of, you know, we're, we're going through this thing. And so hearing you say these things uh, really, really grabs my attention. But along the way, you were very successful at doing that thing that the Lord's trying to unglue you from. Um, not many churches are building thousand seat auditoriums in England. Um, I, and I don't normally like to ask numbers, but give us some numbers. Uh, just so people have a way of, of putting it in context, because churches in the UK are, are usually very small. Uh, the the microchurch thing is starting to really work there. Uh, we're hearing a lot coming out of Alpha and uh, you know Holy Trinity, uh, Holy Brompton or Holy Trinity Brompton. T tell us about a little bit so we can contextualize it, and then take us to where the Lord's trying to to, to get you to see the future. Yeah. I think we were uh, multiple uh, campuses, but uh, here centrally on this location, about 1,200 people would be what we have seen coming in and going out. And I guess like most people, you would say most, a lot of people are attending either every two weeks or every three weeks. I don't know how that works. I think that's part of the issue, though. It's a consumer culture that people try and fit in their following of Jesus as to what, what suits them. They've got this... Uh, the life that they like, they want their kids to be morally good, so they're going to come to church. They always want to make sure they get to heaven. I mean, I'm generalizing. There are a lot of good people here. Um, but this sense of if it fits into my life, I'll be there. Uh, and and so generally, whether it's work shift patterns or whatever, most people would show up. Uh, there's a nucleus that will be here every week. I know there's that will be here every other week or something like that. And then obviously in pre-COVID time, it's very hard to assess how many people are here. And we've only had one Sunday back in, but our restrictions are huge. Two meter gap between every chair, masks on, no public singing. And so, yeah, we've had one Sunday back in and numbers, I mean, we, we have to register people in and both all our services, we did three last Sunday were full, three on this location, one of our, two of our other locations did those services as well. So yeah, we'll see where it lands uh, once all the restrictions are lifted. I have a personal view of some people just won't come back. Yeah. Um, but yeah. In America, they're saying about 30% won't come back. And I think that's uh, healthy. I mean, you know, Jesus said in John chapter 15, that uh, if something's healthy, it's going to get pruned. And, you know, pr pruning is always a good thing. I, you know, I'm a kind of a backyard gardener and I, you know, there's a, there's a terminal bud in every bush, every branch. The, the, the very end bud that's out there putting out leaves or whatever. And if you pinch that off, you're going to get two branches where there was one. And, and so pruning is always uh, a, a way to lead toward greater fruitfulness. And I think when you look at that scripture in light of that, and then you look at what's going on right now, I think the church is going to be healthier. We've taught people don't come to church all the time because we made it so easy for them to do that. Um, you know, you know, I can look at countless mistakes that we made in our lives and, but that whole movement, the literature, all the stuff that was coming down the pipe was aimed at, at, at those of us in church, local church leadership, turning people into, uh, quasi interested consumer Christians. 
I'm, I'm coaching a group right now, uh, a bunch of pastors actually in a, in a small movement uh, that is rapidly, rapidly multiplying. And they have the same attitude toward the coaching. I mean, I charge like, you know, hundreds of dollars an hour to, to do this. I'm doing this for these guys for free, which might've been a mistake because, oh, can we change the schedule? Because some guys can't show up because of a sports thing they want to do. Um, yeah, that's eternal. <laughs> it's just yeah. give me a break. <laughs> so. Yeah. So take us further, take us down the road a little bit and, and, and where you where you feel like this is going to go, where, where the Lord's leading you. I'll take you back to April last year. That's where we just got to uh, churches and fit for purpose. Found the Lord saying it's too personality driven. It's too Sunday centric. Um, uh, it's too consumer oriented. And so um, we've tried to fight that. But then again, we've got a big platform. I like being on that platform. And so I, I feel like I enter my sweet spot on there. I know how to hold the crowd and I had to do stuff. And here's the Lord saying, you've actually built a consumer culture. They like the worship or they like you as a preacher and they're quite happy to attend and listen to you. And their Christianity mostly is expressed by their attendance on a Sunday. We obviously over the years teach that, but I felt the Lord saying to me, but your structures and programming work against what you're trying to teach. And so we went through a April, May, June, July last year, really wrestling with, well, what does the new look like? What is the Lord asking of us? And, and because we're in COVID and because we weren't meeting and we weren't allowed to meet, it was easier to step back and have a look and, and to be able to really evaluate what we do, why we do what we do. And, and the Lord started to speak to us just from the passage in markets in Luke as well about new wineskins and new wine coming into new wineskins and we, how inflexible we had become and how we wanted to make us soft and supple again. And that rather than the structure being around an organizational chart and a program, that the wineskin was always meant to be people joined to people. So the joining of people is the wineskin. What we made it was structure. Here's a program. Here's when you need to attend. Here's what you need to do. And it becomes very formal, but there's no real life of the spirit in that midst. And if you'd asked me pre-COVID, what's wineskin? I probably couldn't answer it. Um, having wrestled with it, I think it's people, it's people whom in Jesus lives amongst them. And now we, in our joining to each other, move towards what he's calling us to do. And I, I think um, I also a realization during that time that um, leadership, the whole industry of leadership in the church, I felt the Lord saying it's become like an idol and an industry and it needs to come down. So I'm not saying the principles are wrong, and I'm not saying I want to go back to not knowing any of those principles. I love some of the podcasts. I love leadership, uh, learning leadership, but it cannot be elevated above God's word or elevated above the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And I, I think we were headed in a way, and I think, I don't, I don't want to speak for others, but generally the church in the West, I'll say it, I think is more like small charitable companies than they are the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so I feel like for us, at least, the Lord's wanting to dismantle that. So the process we've been going through is a dismantling and then a prayerful considering of what needs to be replanted as we move forward. So I, and I, it's, it's just meant lots of conversations, lots of time in prayer, 
I mean, it's been huge for us. We made a decision last May when we didn't know what was happening with COVID that we wouldn't meet on a Sunday until 2021. So we'd keep it locked down. We thought the Lord said, do that because it will interrupt people's understanding of what church is and whatever new you birth, it'll be easier to accept than if you were just doing Sundays and then try to introduce change. You said earlier that... If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmore.net.